You are listening to the Rama Blueprints Podcast. On May 11, 2023, in San Francisco's Mission District, we convened an intergenerational panel of three local leaders to discuss the topic of community resilience and sustainability. Following is the conversation held at Brava Theater with Dr. Concha Saucedo, Fatima Ramirez, and Oscar Grande. Due to technical difficulties, there are flawed portions of the recording. To maintain the integrity of the conversation, we repaired them. Enjoy Tres Generaciones, Three Voices. Well, welcome everyone to the Rama Blueprints podcast and welcome to Brava. Uh, we are here live. Uh, it's, today is May 11th. It's Thursday. It's a beautiful day in the Mission District. And oh my God, look at all the beautiful people that are with us today. Um, a lot of my good friends, a lot of my road, road, what is that? Road dogs. And also my elders, new, new folks that we're working with. You know, we have a lot of folks here today, so I'm really grateful. And before we move on, I want to acknowledge the land that we are present on and acknowledge our in indigenous brothers and sisters, uh, the folks that were here before us. It's important that we recognize the, that those folks, because without those folks, we wouldn't be here, right? We, uh, and also, a lot of our experiences and the wisdom that we've been taught wouldn't be within our heart. Also, acknowledge those that are not with us, uh, the young people, the elders. And in particular today, uh, this show is dedicated to Mitchell Salazar in his memory. That's okay, go ahead. I know sometimes it feels like we're in church and everybody wants to be all like, oh, it's <laughs> But that's part of it. And one of the things that I said to Concha and Fatima and Oscar is that, you know, we're just going to have like a conversation. And also, it's like we're having a little bit of coffee and we're sitting down talking. And, and we're talking with our peers, right? We're talking with our friends and our community. The other thing is also this morning or uh, yesterday, I received an email from a good friend who works at El Nido in... Um, in L.A., and unfortunately, a young man lost his life inside of Juvenile Hall, a 16, 17-year-old. He overdosed. And in conversation, we were talking, how did that happen inside of Juvenile Hall? But we know how that happened. And here in this community, there is a fight to shut down Juvenile Hall, to bring it down. And I think that as we have this conversation today, that we keep in memory that the struggle, the fight, the resistance that community has been through, but putting up, but dealing with. And so, so you all know prior to this, as we prepared for this, but we asked them a question to present to you all, their thought and, 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 and their perspective. I'm so honored to have with us on, our, on my left first is uh, an elder, a Yaqui Chicana, Dr. Concepcion Salcedo, AKA also known as Concha. Um, and, uh, 
And Concha is a grandma, a professor, a teacher, a healer, and a woman who has, you know, really represented what continuing the work means, sustaining the work. 50 plus years, maybe even more of the work. Her story is incredible, an incredible story. Please listen to the latest podcast because her story is in there. But I also want to introduce on my right is Fatima. And Fatima Ramirez is the executive director of Acción Latina. Uh, she is following some major footsteps, right? Has a lot of responsibility. This is where the El Tecolote is housed, one of the Mission District's community newspapers. Fatima Salvadoreña, she's a mom. And she was born in Las Vegas and raised in the Mission District. Went to school here, right? So she's got some roots here. And uh, what an honor it is to have you with us and to be here as the newly exec appointed executive director of Acción Latina. So welcome, Fatima. Also with us today is my good friend, and also a young man that I met many years ago at RAP, at the Real Alternatives Program. Oscar is a, a father, he is a community organizer, an activist who was with Poder for 20 years, and also has worked at Mission Housing, he's worked at different organizations. Oscar's also a member of Danza Citlali, and, <laughs> and also is a, his, his heart has been around organizing for workers' rights, people's rights, housing, and because we need people to organize in all areas, right? The arts, the movimiento, but he's representing that generation of organizers. Poder is an organization that has done an amazing amount of work and continues to do work. And there's a lot of folks that work there, women and men working together. I also... Uh, Oscar's now at the San Francisco City and County, and he works um, in the planning department, correct? Right. And so, welcome, Oscar. Oscar Grande is with us. <laughs> this is kind of fun, huh? Because we get to cheer our, our friends. So, there's a lot of beautiful people here. Let's get started. One of the, the questions that we asked, and I'm just going to paraphrase it, is really a, a question about how, in your experience, so we're going to start with Concha, have you been able to maintain the balance between community, uh, your personal life, and moving through and sustaining the work in your perspective and your, and your walk in this journey? Concha. Thank you, Socorro, and thank you, everyone who's here. Uh, in one way or another, you are part of my life, uh, some more than others, and I'm glad to see you here uh, with us all. And thank you, Socorro, for organizing this, and I'm glad to be here with uh, Fatima and, of course, with the handsome young man, Oscar. <laughs> uh, so the question you pose uh, caused me to spend some time today and in the last few weeks, reflecting, uh, you know, how did I get here and how have I maintained the balance? Uh, I'm not sure whether I always maintain a balance. 
You know, I'm an imperfect human being, uh, and I struggle uh, maintaining a balance between the values that I was taught within my family. Uh, I was fortunate uh, to have a mother and father who came from Mexico. Uh, my father had to leave for political reasons. He was involved in an armed rebellion, and uh, he was never able to go back. And when he was here, he helped others uh, in whatever way he could, particularly Mexicanos, and primarily Latinos who were here were Mexicanos. And, you know, I watched him to see if what he talked about he did. Because he would tell me, if you have uh, any talent, it's up to you to use it, not just for yourself, but for others. That's a responsibility of your talent. And that's where that stems from. And so I always think about his words and my mother's words and try to live up to that expectation. And what were those values? It's values really spiritual values. Uh, my father was a very Catholic person, but beyond Catholicism, he was a spiritual person. He relied on the Creator and on the spirit world. Uh, if we were ill, uh, he would pray. And then he would go and uh, go to Golden Gate Park and uh, collect the herbas that he found there. We didn't go to doctors very often. So I saw him helping other people. If people were getting married and didn't have rings that they needed, he would either loan them his ring or buy rings for them. Simple things, but meaningful things. And so I'm trying to live up to that. And another thing that I remember uh, from both my parents, I grew up part of my time in Niles, which is now part of Fremont, but it was a little town. And it was a town that had many Mexicanos and many Japanese and Japanese Americans. I remember when the war came, the Japanese disappeared and nobody explained to me why they had left. Some of them were my friends. Mm. And later on, my father tried to explain to me, I was seven or eight, that there was a war and that they were forced to go to concentration camps. And he told me at that time that that was immoral, that that was wrong because they hadn't done anything. So the idea of treating people fairly and not having prejudices because they were Japanese because he also told me that the German people were not placed in concentration camps. So, you know, those things stay in your mind. They kind of resonate. And <clears throat> later on, you know, after the war, the Japanese people lost their place, so to speak, that they had worked hard for. And he would talk to me about these things. You know, I think now that he, he saw something in me that he wanted to nurture by telling me these things about things that were right and things that were wrong. So now when I 
do the work that I have been doing for forever, it seems like, last 60 years at least, uh, I think about those things and ask myself, am I living according to those values, compassion, of being helpful, of being respectful of the people that you assist, not looking down because I may have a way of doing something that they don't have, to always treat people with respect and with love and with dignity. That that was the way to be in the world, in whatever I was doing. So my foundation, I was fortunate, came from my parents and from the, really the spirit of how to be in the world. They too were imperfect beings and made mistakes, right? And um, so I, I still struggle. Am I doing the right things? Now, today, I was able to come here. The right thing. <laughs> but I wanted to be here. You know, I uh, I was the uh, chairperson of the lap board when we had to make the decision to close it, and that was the only time in my adult life that I cried publicly at a public meeting because we were asking the city to help us continue. And they wouldn't. They wouldn't provide any more funds. And the situation was drastic, regardless of what people think happened. What happened was that what many agencies perhaps don't do anymore, RAP spent more than it had and got into trouble that way. And people have created all kinds of stories. That is a true story. You know, I was there. You know, I know. And because I was a part of that board. So we make these hard decisions and we try to live according to our values and our value system. And we try to be universally good human beings. Mm. That's all it is. I think of frivolous every time I say good human being. And maybe, <laughs> Maybe that's why we are good human beings and why we're all here. And let me, I know I don't want to go all the time, but I just want to say one more thing. You know, they, they say I'm an elder and I just wanted that. And sometimes that I, but I really think of myself as being vintage. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what we and we take care of vintage. <laughs> I take care of myself. Others take care of myself. So I try to honor vintage as well as them. Senior, I don't understand what that means. So <laughs> I'll go with elder and vintage. Gracias. Well, thank you, Boncha. Thank you for those words. It makes me think about just so many conversations and also just how this wisdom is so critical for you to continue to, you know, and thank you for being with us thank and you. sharing that. I'd like to jump over to Oscar and um, have you maybe share some of your thoughts on the question that was presented to you. I, I also want to re remind folks that Oscar Grande is also born and raised in San Francisco, uh, Excelsior District, right? So I want to give credit 
because, you know, we're all from all kinds of all parts of, the, of San Francisco. Oscar, ¿qué piensas? What do you think? Your question, balance of work, life, activism, familia. Well, first, I, I just want to say it's like it's a complete honor to be here, to be amongst, in the midst of such greatness, of 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 elders and contemporaries and young folks that I admire, that I've worked with, that, you know, I've shared uh, many different spaces. And I think that's, for me, sort of really represents kind of who I am and who I want to be in this world and how all these circles kind of come together. And so I'm just honored every, every time, you know, I think as I get older, You know, I, I, I'm an older, you know, I, at one point I, I was in that youth demographic, you know, we get discounts, we get priority, youth, that youth demographic, uh, especially working in a nonprofit. Are you in the Tate? You know, are you, well, then we used to like saying, hey, you're a youth until you're an elder. So, you know, 30s, you're good. You're good. But I, I, I think, like, I, I feel very blessed. I feel very blessed. I, I believe that, you know, the creator has put me for a purpose. And I and, and as as feel as I re kind of imagine, you know, as I pivot and, you know, I've done a lot of organizing work for 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 decades and pivoting and transitioning towards this other work. It's not it's not organizing per se. It's not like the organizing that I know that I learned you know, at, at rap that I learned at, and cultivated and, and, and at Poder, but it's a different type of organizing. It's a different organizing. The pace is different. I think the emotional weight actually feels a lot harder mm -hmm. because, you know, that I've gone, I've, I'm working at, at the city, you know, city planning department, the equity division, you know, an department that, man, I, I cut my teeth on battling and talking shit about that department and you know and and handcuffing ourselves to their desk and you know demanding justice and demanding equity and demanding that you know that that our communities are here and that our communities deserve respect and that our community deserve investments and that we're tired of being planned over mm -hmm. you know that 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 all decisions should be made in consultation with community because we know best our com our communities our neighborhoods and they go beyond these buildings buildings are important surely and we fight we fight to save them we fight to landmark them we fight to make sure those units are affordable but it's the stories mm -hmm. and i feel blessed that i'm part of the story this legacy this movement that all of us here have created are creating And having this panel here of, of these three generations is, 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 is mission. It's, 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 it's Latino Frisco. It's like, that, that's how we roll. Mm. And so that balance of kind of how to walk, you know, in this world and how to kind of re-envision, re-imagine, you know, as, as I move through the generations from a young person to an older I'm in that sandwich age, you know, I say sandwich because that's what we say in Frisco, you know, <laughs> that, that, you know, I got kids, I got older kids, and I got elders, 
you know, and I'm like right in the middle. And and it and it could be, you know, it's 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 a it's beautiful, it's a blessing, you know, but it does exact a toll. And something that that I learned, I felt like I came from a generation of learning from other organizers who who were really about this martyrdom. Mm. At the expense of your health, mm. at the expense of your finances, at the expense of your mental and spiritual growth. And I I feel like I'm the gener part of the generation like let's 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 fix that. Let, let's heal from right. that. How many elders have we known that put it down for this community, veteranos in the struggle, and are left on their dying bed con nada, ni familia, ni finances. Mm -hmm. And our elders and our gente deserve better. And I feel like that I'm in that age and that balance of like, yeah, we fight hard. Let's fight hard in whatever sector, whatever space you're in. If you're working in the city and I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at some of my comrades that, are, that made that transition to the city and how we take what we learn at rap and take that self-determination ethos with us and cultura cura, and we bring them into these spaces. And we take them in, in our nonprofit spaces. And we take them in our mutual aid spaces. And we take them when we, we're, we're farming the land, tilling the soil. And we take them into these youth spaces as artists and, create, and creatives. They never take that away from me. And I feel like to me, that's the balance. And I'm, I'm, I feel like super proud. It like overwhelms me to say that I'm part of that legacy. And so when I'm in these city spaces and I feel totally like disempowered and feel like, you know what? It ain't even my decision. It's actually, that's like higher up. It's beyond me that I'm able to kind of grab my, my, my imaginary sage and my, my aloe vera and I'm just like, it's all good. I got community. I'm part of a, a of a legacy. I'm part of a lineage um, to kind of help <laughs> get that balance, you know, get that balance and also be very strategic. Because as an organizer, we always thinking. I'm always thinking strategy. I'm always thinking strategy. What is the strategy? You know, like, can I put my ego aside? Can I swallow a bit of my pride? So we can move the needle forward and get the goods, like we say, like get the goods. Organizing gets the goods, you know, when we're in these spaces. And so that, that to me is the balance. I feel like in the last five years, I have grown spiritually. I've always been a, a member of Vansa since I met my wife, you know, 25 years. But I was never a dancer. I was the gear guy. <laughs> you know, I was like... I was like the dancer enthusiast. I carry your drum. I got the canopy. You know, I'll roll a couple of sage bundles, you know, all chueco, but they get rolled. But it wasn't until like five, six years ago I became a danzante. My experience is totally different. Not a good danzante as some of my fellow danzantes know, pero puro corazón. Puro corazón. And I think that has really helped me to really ground myself and define what my spirituality is. Up until then, it was like, I'm a recovering Catholic. That's my spirituality, but okay, and what? And that has really helped me to grow mm -hmm. as a person, you know, as a father, as, a, as an organizer, as an advocate, as a 
city planner, community developer, whatever title they gave me, you know, as an ally. And so that's, that's the balance I'm really trying to cultivate, you know, and grow. And then to teach others or to share others. I have a responsibility as a mentor, as a father, as a brother, as an uncle, as a friend that I really take seriously that I am an elder in training. I want to grow up to be an elder. I want to grow up to be vintage, you know? And, and, and I want to take that seriously. You know, uh, I'm sitting here listening to you, and I remember when I first met you at RAP, and you were RFK Fellow, Robert F. Kennedy Memorial Fellow. And uh, wow, Oscar, welcome, you know, and um, thank you for sharing that wisdom with us and for always having that corazón. Somebody said to me today, Stella, Corazón y comunidad, right? Corazón and comunidad. And that's uh, extremely important that you have that balance. Fatima, welcome. I just want to remind folks, this is tres generaciones, tres voces, sustaining the community resilience. It's part of this show, and that's the theme. And that's what we're here doing today, talking about this. Fatima. Gracias. Hi, everybody. I'm so honored to be here today. And it's so interesting because as I'm hearing about, you know, different generations, I'm thinking, you know, it takes three strands to make a trenza. And I think so much of that is rooted in the wisdom um, that I'm continuing to learn more about. I'm very aware that I like stand on shoulders of giants and definitely am just honored every time that I get an opportunity to be within a space where I get to uplift others as well, especially you know, as now the executive director of Acción Latina and publisher of El Tecolote newspaper, that's very central to our work of making sure that we are positioning those who are closest to that story so that they're able to tell that story themselves, really from their own perspective. Um, and in thinking about the, the question that was posed to us about, you know, reflecting on our, on our work philosophy and how we find balance and how we try to stay present in those values when working with the community, uh, first of all, I thought the question of work philosophy was really interesting, too. It made me think, I'm like, hmm, what is my work philosophy? What is my approach to that? It just brings me back to where I'm at currently with that of just wanting to do my work with, with joy and with service to my community, uh, which I think is very much in line with the rap guiding principle, too, of wanting to love and serve the people. Um, it ultimately comes back to that. Um, and I think within my own story, you know, I'm the daughter of Salvadoran refugees, and my mom worked in hotel housekeeping for almost two decades. So I think that's very central to my own, like, work ethic, too, just as daughter of immigrants and just feeling this tremendous responsibility to give back and to honor the sacrifices that were made. But I think as I've gotten older, I've also learned that that carries a lot of weight, <laughs> too, and it's okay to be able to also really center that self-care. Because as Oscar was saying, you know, sometimes that same kind of organizing mentality is very intertwined with that immigrant mentality or as kids of immigrants of just like working hard, working through it, pushing through. And I think one of the biggest lessons that the pandemic gave us was the need to take a pause and to realize that there's only so far that you can push through until your body says like, basta, you need to take a break, um, you need to breathe, 
recenter and I think really leaning into uh, spirituality is also something that's uh, very important too. Both of my parents also Catholic and I think I've tried to reimagine just what those values are for myself now, even just like thinking outside of like the structured religion, just really thinking about what can ground me in, in having faith ultimately and in that like belief of knowing that things are going to be okay, things are going to work out. I think that's the biggest, you know, kind of teaching that I take from that. And in resiliency, too, I think we talk um, sometimes about resilience as uh, something that's an individual who's resilient, for example. And what I'm learning is, like, resiliency doesn't have to be a solitary act. You know, it, it's obviously something that is stronger when we're doing that in community mm -hmm. and when we're bold enough and humble enough to ask for help to realize that we can't do everything on our own and that it doesn't always have to be us who is like saving the day. Like sometimes being able to move forward is actually by just being able to turn to somebody and like unpacking and saying like, this is what's going on right now. And this is, these are the challenges I'm facing. This is where I need help. And in being able to do that, you actually are able to strong, like build stronger connections, stronger bonds with other folks, um, ultimately bringing us together as community to move forward and actually be resilient. Wow, thank you for that. Thank you. Let's give our guest a hand for all the sharing and uh, you know, thank you for that. You know, it makes me think about how as your positions in your work, and I know now that you're not an ED anymore, but you're still, still working with young people in different ways and Fatima and Oscar, you're still in the thick of it, right? You're still in the work and, and building community. You know, so oftentimes we run into, um, you know, challenges, right? And I think, Oscar, you touched a little bit about, you know, the, chal the challenges of now sitting in, in the, you know, in the city and county, working in those, uh, in those buildings and working against that for, with it. How do you navigate some of the resistance you all face, you face, um, and in, in the system? And how do you navigate the community resistance? And how do you push through that? And anybody can jump in. Um, so whoever wants to kind of sort of start. Well, listening to Paul's talk about creating a system and bringing his heart and wisdom his heart that developed in the community. Thinking that in the 70s, there wasn't an Oscar in the system. Uh, that actually the people that were about them oftentimes had acculturated to that system. Mm -hmm. So they became, in effect, the enemy. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was a very painful time because you could not depend on those who you thought you would be able to depend on. So you had to find allies in the mm -hmm. So I think it's the right time, mm. the right time for those that have been out here to move there with what they learned here, that younger people are stronger. Mm. That, and because there were no supports at that time for people who went into the system. So they had to survive, and one way you survive is to acculturate. It was in that system. Mm -hmm. But then they were not as connected any longer. Mm. 
So it's really, I think, an important time for young, younger people to consider because those systems are ours. Mm. That's my you know, but they don't respond to us in the way that we want them to or expect them to. So that we need people, you know, like all of you to be in there, many of you that are here, to be in there and to take his part and the strength that you have learned here and to know that you have that strength behind you. Mm. Comments? Oscar, Fatima? Uh, you, it's um, just struck a nerve. Like, I can't imagine being a 20 or 30-year-old working in the city. Like, this opportunity came at a right time for me. Because um, I would have been some corrupt-ass person. I would have been like... Hey, slip some Niner tickets right there and let's deal. You know, I just, you know, I, I just think I, I can't imagine. <laughs> I know I just can't. I just can't imagine because I needed the politicization that I received. The alternative worldviews that I was exposed to. The, the, the political education that I engaged in. I needed to learn from my elders and from others. I needed to leave the city and learn from other places about movements and how communities organizing. And then I needed to practice it. Like that point of back in the days, and if you had that position, you were some tío taco, you were some coconut, you were some like, and I see it in the city. I see, I see it in terms of, I see a lot of young, bright folks of color, probably similar experiences, first in their generation, you know, did what they had to do, worked hard, studied, got, you know, good degrees, and then are in a space that is devoid, that is absent of those alternative worldviews, that is absent of any sort of political mm -hmm. education absent of any sort of like learn about our movements, you know, learn about the struggles. I would have been, I would have had, I would have been a completely different person. My, my, my expression in the, in the city right now mm -hmm. would just been totally different. Um, so I recommend for young folks, put in your time in the community, put in your time right. and then let's work hard to make sure that these opportunities in the city are open to our communities because it'll make our work. We'll be able to see materialize the change, see the material changes in our communities so that the city is working not in, not in polar opposite or we're doing this tokenization that we're all accustomed to or even worse, this like settler colonial mentality that the city, when they're giving out money, that's our money. That's the most righteous money. That's our money. That's the people's money. You know, it should be used for the people's work. But they make us dance through hoops. They make us bark like dogs. They make us like play that game that I, I really want to envision a place and time where, you know, that the city is really serving the needs of the community and deferring to community, mm -hmm. collaborating community you know, as allies. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm seeing glimpses of it. I, you know, I'm seeing glimpses of our allies on the inside. Um, 
I mean, one of the things that comes to mind in terms of um, resistance, um, right? I think that the with us with el tecolote, sometimes that resistance can come from I think just ourselves mm -hmm. of just you know consistently putting out um, news that have headlines, for example, that you know bring us down, that just like. Um, sometimes make us feel like the work that we're doing isn't advancing fast enough or it's not giving us the results that we're looking for. Um, and I think um, in those times, it's still important to um, keep in mind like just the, the power of a story and being able to look um, sometimes within our own community as well, making sure we've got that story, we've got that story straight, that we're doing the research to be able to um, include different voices, especially those that often get excluded um, from the conversations. Um, and in doing that, particularly as we cover our Latino community, um, you know, realizing how important it is to have nuance to the stories that we're telling as well, um, and making sure that, again, we're, we're continuing, you know, despite the resistance, continuing to open up those platforms to have those stories be told, you know, and, and getting creative with the different mediums, right? Like. If it's not print, it's a podcast. Mm. The podcast will travel further. Right. Um, and now you're able to have a bigger bigger reach um, and tap into an audience that perhaps feels like they've been excluded from the systems before. Maybe that feels like they can no longer afford to live here in the city, but can still tune in somewhere else um, and can still make noise wherever they're at to try to bring us together and therefore increase, that, um, increase our coalition building efforts. Um, so you know that's in part um, what comes to mind. You know, you, you bring up an interesting, you said coalition building, right? And part of the, the, the second half of this conversation, of this question, is about how right now you, Fatima, as a executive director, how are you collaborating and working with um, uh, the other leaders in this community? Um, and, and in particular, I know when you and, you and Foncha met, right? And, how, and, and what has... Um, resulted from that and how do you guys communicate with each other to support each other in case you find yourself in that resistance um, and and how do you hold that to each other so I don't know if one if you want to comment on that or uh, Boncha, if you want go ahead no go ahead in terms of how do you approach that they're supposed to. And I said, I won't do that because they have the culture, they are Japanese. And if I'm going to ask them for something, I'm not going to offend them and insult them. We took three months of meeting with them. And just and the, the man with the vice president of the bank, and he was an elder, and he would only talk to me directly. And there were other people around the table. 
because I was another elder. And we were exchanging cultural stories. And in that passage, finally one day he said, I really want to help you. I don't know how to do it. What can I do? And I said, walk down. You can give us a building. Everybody around the table laughed. But two weeks later, they called me and said, the vice president wants to meet with you and President Daniel Ford. We have some good news. He wants to give it to you. He wants to give you the news for And so I said, oh, it's going to happen. And he said, we decided, after much consideration, that you deserve having that building. And he said, when would you like it? And I told him, I told him the story of Cinco de Mayo, and it was close to that day. I said, I want it by Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> the day before, I got the paper. I went and registered. And so I learned, you know, these lessons about when do you confront, when do you find, wind your way to, I just figure, okay, they're bankers, but they also have a heart. I have my, you know, not all bankers have a heart, but some, and I was really speaking to that heart. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's what you're trying to do as well. How do we, how do we make them our allies? Because they are us, and we are they. When we say, en la que es, tu eres mi otro yo, that's what we mean. But we don't always operate that way. And I think this is, this is the time. Well, I also uh, want to comment a, a bit on that as we started talking about, you know, building these coalitions and building this, um, you know, these connections. Uh, you know, our, our production company is called the Five Sisters Audio Garden. It's based on the philosophy of, um, you know, uh, this, uh, this uh, group of organizations that build a lot of work in the community. And not just this community, but outside of this community, you know, in the Bayview, Sunnydale, everywhere. Part of the resilience of the work was that it expanded. Um, the vision was that it wasn't just about Latino community, it's about all communities. And what we're reminded of is in, when Emuno in 1967 was the East Side Mission Youth, an uh, East Side Mission Neighborhood Youth Organization. And there was black, Filipino, Latino, Puerto Rican, it was all. And so, and they had this building of, this feeling of community. And so, given the time today, how are, how are organizations, in particular your organization, working with other organizations in this community? Uh, because I know one of the highlights of Tecolote was you had a, a reporter that was talking about mental health. And if you can address that a little bit, how that builds some sort of coalition. Go ahead. Yeah, that was... I think, um, obviously, as we saw the disproportionate impact of the pandemic on our Latino community, it became very apparent to us very quickly um, at Acción Latina and El Tecolote that even beyond all of the physical effects, you know, that the pandemic was going to take on our folks, what was going to be harder and was going to take much longer is what's invisible. It's all of our mental health. Um, that's still an ongoing um, issue, right, for all of us. Um, and so we had this opportunity to be able to um, uh, have a partnership with this program called Report for America um, that essentially helps to fund in part um, salaries for journalists around newsrooms across the country 
um, and we were asked to come up with a beat, a specific um, beat that we wanted covered, which was a new thing for us at El Tecolote because, um, you know, first of all, we work a lot with a lot of uh, student journalists, some volunteers, and um, it's challenging sometimes to be able to have consistent coverage on a specific topic. Um, you know, it tends to be whatever is most urgent at the time. So to have the opportunity to have um, dedicated investment of time and actually be able to follow through and looking at mental health seemed like the obvious choice for us um, in terms of the beat. So um, we were able to apply um, uh, through Report for America. We were fortunate enough to be able to secure that funding and be able to bring on a mental health reporter. Um, and you just have been really, um, really thankful to the reporter who stepped up um, and who's embedded herself within the community to really look at, um, you know, where the needs were and where the resources were coming from, being able to research um, and look into other organizations as well to be able to just spread more of that information and resources um, to folks, but also just to check in with folks and see how they were doing, like literally just being able to ask with folks like, you know, are you okay? What is, um, what are those issues that are coming up for your family? Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and that's something that we're looking to continue within El Tecolote too, of being able to um, keep going with that coverage and continue even, um, even with a new um, reporter, just maintaining that commitment of making sure that um, as these years continue and, um, you know, we're, we start recovering maybe from some of those physical effects or become more aware of what those effects are. Um, so just keep in mind the importance of checking in with one another and making sure that we're tapping into the resources that already exist within our community, but just making those more accessible um, to folks, making them more aware that all of those resources are there for them um, and that they're able to, um, to tap into them whenever they need to. Thank you for that. Yeah, thanks. Oscar, what are your thoughts? Um, See, so I'm focusing on, on collaboration, right. coalition building. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking about just, just my own upbringing and, you know, raised, you know, born and raised in the city, you know, family from El Salvador, came in the late 60s. Um, one of, you know, of my side, the only of, of my side, five siblings to be born here and be like, Truly, I'm, I'm from here. I was mm -hmm. raised here. You know, like many of us, it's kind of like, no somos de allá ni de aquí, or kind of in this in-between right. and growing right. up with that. One thing I learned and that I carried with me is I just remembered, like, this, this, this salvi solidarity economy that existed, you know? Right. Like, where you got to stay, where's, where, who's, who's renting a room, who's renting an apartment. You know, uh, uh, where, where can I find work? You know, it was this, this salvi solidarity and then what began to grow into this Centro Americano solidarity, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, with our communities really, at least in my experience, Salvadoreños, Nicaragüenses, Hondureños, Guatemaltecos, mm -hmm. um, Mexicanos, pero my, it was this Centro Americano. It was this like Centro Americano yeah. sort of like, like, I, I remember growing up and not knowing people's names. We just knew them as what they did. El carpintero, mm -hmm. la costurera, la que hace tamales, el, el que te, you know, the, the one who loans you money. You know, I, and it was like, that. that's your contribution right. to this network 
of gente that didn't have access to the systems, to the resources, but que no se iban quedar para atrás. Huevo. We got to eat. We got to survive. We got to work. We got to, you know, put, you know, clothes on these kids' backs. Like, we're, we're going to yeah. support one another. You know, every, I remember before my mom passed, like, you know, she, she started having dementia. And, and one of the things she kept going back to was when she worked at Levi's. You know, Levi's on Valencia. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the. You know, Levi's on Valencia, which is now a high-end, uh, the friend's school. Um, but that, that, they used to call it, I learned from Dr. Cordova, that the folks called it La, La Universidad de Managua or La Universidad de Nicaragua because that's where you went to get school. And it was all like, you know, that generation in the 80s was like Centro Americanos, some, some throwbacks to the old Italian Irish folks that, or old Italian and Irish immigrant garment workers. But... She kept going back to that. She kept going back to that and how she found that job and how when she got that job it was the proudest moment of her life and how she it was a union job at that um, and how she opened the doors for other Salvadoreñas and her as this older because she was older when she got here. Mm -hmm. Mom had me when she was 46, mm -hmm. you know, I had my sister when she was like 16. So, um that then she opened the doors to other Salvadoreñas, mm -hmm. you know, even her own daughters who worked there. But she was sure to say, you're only here for a hot minute. We came to this country for, for you not to do this backbreaking work. This, este trabajo es para viejas, no para jo, jo, jovencitas like you are. Get your money, go to school, find something better. And she would push them out. Like, you need to get out of here. You need to get out of here. But I carry that with me. Mm -hmm. This, this, this solidarity and this responsibility on like in La Quetz or your liberation is wrapped up in my liberation. And, and I feel like I, I, I cultivated that and it resonated. Those values, the, I had those values, but they resonated. And then I got skilled and schooled on how to like really build coalitions through the work at Poder and through the environmental justice movement. Mm -hmm. You know, the environmental justice movement was about you know, communities of color, communities most impacted by the environmental degradations, those communities speaking firsthand and coming up with solutions. And so I was like, I was like, as a city kid who didn't leave the city much, you know, to then opened up to communities in other parts of this country and even the global south about, you know, the, the need to collaborate and to coalesce that you know, black people's liberation is wrapped up in our liberation, vice versa. You know, Filipinos, especially in the city, that solidarity. You know, mm -hmm. growing up in the city, I see you, you bring that with you. You know, our churches, you know, I grew up in the Catholic church, Corpus Christi Parish. <laughs> you know, puro Filipinos, Latinos. And that carries to this day in the work that you do. It isn't like we, it, it isn't like it was just, you read it in a book, you learned about, you felt it. It was in your bones, in your veins. We came up with Samoans. We came up with, with Filipinos. We came up with black folks. Like we came up with working class Irish mm -hmm. kids who are like maybe one or two generations removed. Like them proud ass Excelsior Irish kids with Irish flags, you know, uh, tattooed right. on their arms. And, but it was that solidarity amongst immigrantes and working class people. Um, that's how I kind of 
take my collaboration and how I'm trying to take it into this new space, you know, working at the city, um, trying to take it there because it's a really hard space to kind of bring forward those, 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 those values. You know, the, the, the city does, from my experience in the nonprofit days now, the city does a great job at dividing communities, mm -hmm. of, of, of perpetuating, of, of instigating disunity. You know, and I think that's why it's important for us to, like, break down those doors and claim our rightful place in these, in these, in these positions, in these departments. Because I think you could teach it, right. but it's different when it's in your bones. It's in your blood, it's in your DNA, it's a different experience. You know, it's a lot of emotional labor that goes into like, I think folks of color that are in these positions, mm -hmm. having to do double the labor to be to school, to educate, to inform like your colleagues, like, oh, tell me, I don't know why, you know, mm -hmm. why do Latinos yeah, do yeah. this? Oh, yeah. Why do they like hanging out on 24th Street Plaza? Tell us why. like. It's a different, it's a different experience and a different expression that will, that leads to policy, that leads to funding, part that is different when you got your own gente in those spaces. That's right. That's right. Thank you for that. You know, um, I, I think as I'm, as I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, you know, when you think about 25 years ago and all these coalitions and organizations and folks working together, um, and, and I'm so proud to say that the podcast, you know, our partners include the, you know, the United Players. It includes, uh, yeah, right, UP, right? Let's give them credit. Um, uh, and it includes the Pacific Resource Hut, which is the representing the Samoan uh, community, the Pacific Islander community. It's intentional. It's con intención. That's why we did that because it also, it also definitely represents and con connects our community. And our community is so made up of so many different folks. And so as we're building um, consciousness and building resilience, I want to ask you, how are you within your organizations or within the work? And I know, Oscar, this may be a little bit tricky for you, but how and are you doing this work to build consciousness and community for the new generations of folks to come. Because, you know, I mean, I came out of the, you know, the Chicano movement, and I was schooled, and I was trained, and I was taught to be a good soldier, you know? I didn't just, I mean, I, I carried it all the way through to this day, I'm still practicing it. But how do we build a, 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 a consciousness, a movement of community workers? Because it's great. People want to go work and stay inside the city and do that, bring that corazón and comunidad with you. I agree. But there's work in this community and other communities. When we first started speaking with Concha, she said, there's a, a historical, you know, people are, are not understanding the history and, or don't, don't know it. So what's your responsibility? How are you doing it? to build consciousness and to build resilience amongst the new generations of folks that are coming. Yeah, I think <laughs> here, we're different generations, so we're going to do it differently. Um, what I've decided is I'm going to talk about it as much as possible mm. 
with uh, the young people that I interact with. Mm -hmm. I, I get along very well with uh, some of these little street dudes that <laughs> someone sends to me. They don't even realize they're going to a psychologist most of the time. So it's an ideal time. I talk to them as grandma, right? Uh, talking history, talking what they can do, uh, what's possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I think they don't realize what's possible in many cases. They only live on their street and around there. But they don't, they haven't traveled, they don't want to, particularly, they can't. So it's, I think that my job now, you know, I'm 88, as a lot of people know, and I'm still here. And so now I can talk about things that maybe other people can't talk about mm. in a way with them because I represent a grandma. And one of the things I keep just rediscovering is that these young people, that people often dismiss as being not just irrelevant, but being disrespectful and all of that, they come with such respect. Mm. They come with respect um, and are respectful and offer to help in many ways. So for me, there's an opportunity to be a teacher which that's how I consider myself, a teacher. Mm. And so I can teach what I have learned and what doors they may need to open mm -hmm. and just give them a push, uh, push them in the direction mm -hmm. or to other people that they could connect with. So uh, that's, that's what, what I, I have figured out for myself at okay. this time. Because I can't be out on the street talking to people as I have in the past, or I can sometimes. Oh, the time. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Fatima? What comes to mind is that uh, in an interview with um, Carlos Santana, actually, he referred to Acción Latina and El Tecolote as a centro de consciousness, centro de conciencia. Um, and that really makes me think of the work that we do as um, your memory keeping and memoria histórica, really. Uh, one of the intentional ways in which we're trying to move that forward is through our Paseo Artístico program, which is an arts walk that we produce actually in community, in coalition with a dozen other uh, cultural arts organizations here on 24th Street um, as an opportunity to showcase multidisciplinary artists um, from our comunidad to um, you know, present their work uh, to an audience. Um, and one of the special series that we created was called History Matters in the Mission, looking first at the decade of the 70s, honoring that El Tecolote is now, has been serving our community for more than five decades, and it was founded in 1970. So we started there, looking at what was happening um, in that decade, and, and so much was going on in the neighborhood at that time. And then we kept going into the 80s, um, and now we're looking at the 90s, mm -hmm. and um, looking at the, the history of how many of our legacy organizations were created how the foundation for so much of um, the resources that we have access to now, uh, what brought folks together to build that and to be able to, you know, have that available to folks now. So, um, you know, that's a big responsibility of what we see of first, like learning that history mm -hmm. as uh, you were sharing, Concha, um, and then passing that on, especially to, um, you know, to all of the folks that we work with, we still consider El Tecolote a training ground for the next generation of Latino media makers. And we're often in contact with a lot of student journalists, a lot of media makers from different city colleges, um, state schools, and many other universities. Um, 
And one of the things that we're trying to um, pass along to them through other, um, other work that we've been doing, particularly with the Solutions Journalism Network, um, is looking at, first of all, in those solutions. How do those solutions come about right. and how are they community driven? Um, and then looking at um, um, the, this, this myth of objectivity, for example, within journalism and allowing a lot of uh, these Latino journalists, the ones that we're working with, right, um, to look at the, actually the power of your voice, of not feeling like you have to silence that. Because oftentimes you would be told, you know, in different journalism schools, you're too close to the story, so you can't cover that. Um, and we did a whole um, series recently, for example, looking at um, uh, paid sick leave for domestic workers. Mm. And the reporter who was telling the story was, you know, recent. She's about to graduate from SF State. Um, Lorena Garibay did a fantastic job in tapping into her own story, you know, her own family story of her mother working as a domestic worker, she herself helping her and therefore also being a domestic worker while she was trying to do her um, studies. And being able to share that with a person she was interviewing just opened up a whole other door of trust for that person to be able to tell their story and to tell it genuinely. Um, so, you know, we want to continue to encourage that among this next generation of journalists, too, of just, like, be authentically yourself, your whole self, um, as you're telling that story, because that will ultimately, you know, open more doors for everybody else. And, and thank you for that. Um, you know, it brings the thought that one of the stories that was shared with us with some of the first folks, uh, they talk about the, the rap Patrol, the the first Gaius outreach, um, and Juan Gonzalez shared the story with us. You know, one of the, the founder of Tecolote, and he said that uh, the Tecolote back in the day rode in a van with the Rap Patrol, and they were like on the line, on the front line, reporting what was going on in the streets. And so I want to applaud El Tecolote for continuing to carry on that. And challenge El Tecolote at the same time to say, you know what, place a reporter in every organization and figure out how we do these internships. But at the same time, I remember hearing that story from Juan and then hearing Jim Queen and Esperanza talk about that. And I can just imagine it, you know, a reporter in the 60s running around with folks and reporting what was going on. So thank you for continuing that work. And, and it's so inspiring también to hear how you guys are, are continuing to hold on to that legacy and teaching the, the, the new generations of journalists and reporters that are coming. Oscar, what does it make you think about? I just had a, 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 an image of place a planner in every van. There you, you go. Know, like, there you go. We need these professional planners that are at, in the city, you know, these community developers that are working in, in the interest of our gente, of our peoples, of our communities, but don't know our communities. Don't, don't even know the streets. Don't even know what block, what, what exists, what's there. Mm -hmm. Much less the historical context of memory keeping. So a lot of our memories are, they're folk tales. It's like a, it's like a, a ditty. What do you, it's a, it's a folk tune, you know? It's, 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 it's not legit. It's not, it's not the official San Francisco story. It's not the Herb Kane San Francisco. <laughs> Fuck Herb Kane. You know, like we have, it's, and I think we're the, that's what we're really trying to build. And the work, especially the mission and the work, this is, 
this is not a new, this is like a 30, 40, 50. I mean, our elders from the 60s, I fought against, you know, uh, against with the redevelopment along here. We're, we're part of that, that, that lineage. But I think what you said really resonates with me, um, memory keeping. Mm-hmm. I do, I do worry about the ahistorical, a- even amongst, and I don't want to say it's, it's young folks, even like my generation, right, this right. disconnect mm-hmm. from right. these stories. You know, because popular media is not, it's not, you know, it's not reading about it. And then we have, you know, journalists and newspapers, new stuff that's funded by, you know, billionaire tech executives that are rewriting the story and reframing of what is San Francisco and who holds power in San Francisco. Like the whole debate around housing and affordable housing like our communities are not even addressed. They're not even talked about in a national and in a state context here locally because it's so, you know, we're in it deep. And I'm looking at Eric. We're in it deep. I'm looking at Teddy. Like, but I went to a conference last week and it was put on together by developers. Is the I forget what it was called, but dude, the binary and the narr- the, the narrative is a binary of Yimby versus NIMBY. Our community is neither. Our community is not addressed at all, but because they're they're speaking to that power that exists because they have legislators in the state that are pushing, you know, their agenda. They have lawyers. They have, you know, people that are pushing that they have resources. They're backed by by tech and billionaires. But we're out here doing the work. One, we're out here. We're the first and worst that that are that are hit that have been hit in this housing crisis. Um. So that a historical, what we do in the community, because you asked, well, what can we do yeah. in the community? Right. And I think like, at, let's ask the people in this room right. because they're doing it. Y'all are doing it. You know, we're rediscovering our medicinas. We're building our altars. We're, we're keeping our altars. We're bringing our altars with us. Shit, I got an altar at the planning department. They're looking at me crazy. Like, but there's other folks like, hell yeah, let's do this. Um, you know, we're keeping our fires lit. We're, we're, we're learning about our movements. I think it's really important to learn the stories. And, and I do feel that there is this, this amnesia that is happening right. now. Because um, yeah. we're not telling their stories about movement. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love the resurgence on, like, lowrider culture. I love the resurgence of, like, throwback fashion. Like, that is beautiful and that is power. And we're reclaiming it. But we also need to get conscious, politically conscious and politically engaged. How do we marry the two? How do we make it cool as hell to be like, uh, I'm going to a planning commission hearing. Uh, yeah. Hey, you too. Yay. Pick me yeah. up in the low yeah. rider. Right. Pick me up in the rap van right. Right. and let's go take. Right. Right. You know, I actually hollered at Arturo and Arturo brought a van to take a bunch of tenants from San Bruno Avenue just a few months ago. You know, because they're being threatened with their home being taken away. And Arturo brought his van out there, brought about a dozen familias, Spanish-speaking, Chinese-speaking familias to go to, to the planning commission. So, I, and I think there's really great examples of where that's happening because I think we get enthused and inspired. Like, I don't want to get vintage and be like one of them folks that are like, like, ah, oh, back in the days, we used to do this. Back in the days, and my kids are like, you do that now, Pops. Like, back in the days, it was this, and the bus cost 25 cents, and da-da. Uh, but, you know, 
what the the work that Tere is doing at Colibri is exactly that. Mm-hmm. Is exactly mm-hmm. this praxis, right. this uh, like we're 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 reconnecting, rediscovering our tradiciones, but we're also very clear and intentional. This is a political act. This is a revolutionary act, a revolutionary thought and action, because to have any sort of any land in this city, you got to fight for it. Right. And 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 they're consistently fighting for it, but also like doing it in a joyful manner. Like people want to go out there. They want to farm. They want to till the soil. They want to reconnect with their ancestral, you know, wisdom that maybe skipped the generation because their family mm-hmm. were trying to assimilate. And then you have this new generation and inspiring an old generation. I think that's a great example. And that is very intentional. That is movement. That is environmental justice movement. But this is like the third wave of environmental justice. The third generation of the first generation was keep the bad out. Keep the noxious uses out of our of our community. The second one, let's plan for our futures. Right. Let's plan the community. This third one is is let's practice the world we want, we envision. I think what's happening in Colibri, if you haven't been out there, you need to get out there. You need to pick up a shovel and put in some time and because that land is always, you know, consistently being threatened. And Colibri, a little bit is, talk a little bit about what. Colibri Farms out in the Excelsior District at Crocker Park. Folks know. Um, you, That's it's, right. It's a, it's a huge organizing victory. And we got to consistently always keep organizing for it because we're never guaranteed. And that's something I learned from Francisco Herrera. Francisco Herrera is like, you got to teach the new generation that's right. because those wins that we got a decade back, two decades back, are always threatened, are always threatened. So you have to keep the memory and you always have. So that's why youth development and youth engagement and youth organizing is so important because mm-hmm. that's the generation that's going to keep fighting, keep the fire lit, going to keep building the altars, going to keep telling the stories yeah. and creating new ones. Can I add something about sure, Colibri? Go ahead. Because I'm kind of a godmother there. Um, that <laughs> Colibri has been a town square. Mm. Mm. And it is now sacred land Mm -hmm. for many reasons, not just ceremonial, because the way the land is being treated, the way people come and give. And it really is a special special place. Uh, And hopefully, one of these days, we'll have a soft lodge there at Demiscan, which will be another piece that's needed. So what... We have to imagine things. We, it's not just vision, but really imagine what it can be. And then we start doing it. That's how it happens. You have to have that kind of, we all have to have it. And we all do, but we don't talk about it. I imagine all kinds of things. And I'm old. I'm vintage, right? But I can imagine all these things happening. Right. And they are happening. And I go back a long time being active. Um, and I started in the peace movement, mm-hmm. uh, actually, back in the late 50s, early 60s. And it, going back to the original question, why am I still here? Because of love. 
the love that I receive and the love that I give gives me strength to take action, right? Because I could just sit in a chair and not take action. Right. And the actions change, but it's important to take action because that feeds you, right? We're hungry for the change. And so we have to be fed by making actions and all of us taking action collectively. And I, I see so much more of that now. So I, I'm full of hope. We have to keep hope. It's true, like the song, we have to keep hope alive. That's right. Otherwise, we just stop. And some people have stopped. And, and this is the time. Thank you for that, Concha. You know, we are getting to that time of the conversation where we have to bring some closure to it. Um, we had some questions, and as my, you know, colleague over here is giving me the signal, um, and, and we can keep the conversation going, um, not just in this space, but in continued spaces and other spaces. And when you go home, and when you're at the, you know, panaderia, or when you're talking to your colegas, and when you leave from here saying like, "Wow, what was that?" And but I, I do have a, another question in a sense, but in a, if you can briefly. I want to just pose to the three of you. So we've been sitting here and deep conversation and thought and pensamiento and wisdom. Um, how do you see your roles, the three of you, you know, to continue to carry this conversation? Yeah, it's great. We're here. The podcast, it's live. We're doing this. We have our, but how do you continue to carry this conversation? Um, and if one of you can just give a, a how or a suggestion or a strategy. These are great questions. I just want to acknowledge people and thank them for giving us these questions. And we definitely can address them and talk to them um, as we continue the dialogue. But uh, I don't know if someone wants to kind of take that on and then bring some closure to. And I want to thank all of you for your patience and for bearing with us. This is our first live podcast. so. You know, estamos aprendiendo, vamos caminando, right? But I want to thank you for this. Um, I don't know who wants to take it on. Fatima, you do it. You're like the, you know, the jovencita. Come on. How do we continue the conversations? I think, I mean, continuing to create more intergenerational spaces of learning is what comes to mind. Uh, as we were talking about Colibri, actually, um, I've had the honor of like for the last couple of weeks now in preparation for Carnaval actually rehearsing at Colibri and it's part of, I'm part of an intergenerational um, Salvadoran Balefrecorico group called Grupo Maiz that was founded in San Francisco um, in the 80s and it's actually, you know, it's a whole family affair, it's with my suegra, it's with my husband's family, my son who's, you know, going to be going to kindergarten soon is now joining us too and is actually starting to learn some of the steps which my proudest mom moment for him to just like already get in and sin pena, like performing in front of people and everything. Um, and that like this conversation tonight just reminds me of just like the power and the magic that happens when generations come together to reflect, to talk about where we've been, where we are, where we're going, what's possible and keep envisioning and keep um, collaborating together and creating more magic. Right on, thank you for that. Um, I want to thank our guests. I want to thank Dr. Concha Salcedo, Fatima Ramirez, and Oscar Grande. We also need you to continue to listen to the episodes, continue to spread the word, 
And let's continue to do this, these dialogues. And, and thank you, all of you. What an honor it has been. Gracias. Buenas noches. That concludes this episode. Thank you for listening. Please consider donating to Rama Blueprints at the carecensf.org website or the link in the description. Please subscribe to our podcast and share it with two people. This episode was produced and edited by Darren J. De Leon and Socorro Gamboa for the Five Sisters Audio Garden. We also want to thank the following. Michelle Alvarez, Ray Belberon, Alfredo Bojorquez, Stacy Powers Cuellar, Juan Rivera, Joyce Ledesma, Kel Harris Jr., and the Brava staff. And our partners, Carecen San Francisco, Instituto Familiar de la Raza, and Pacific Islander Resource Hut. A special thanks to our hosts, Miguel Bustos and Alex Rivera. We also want to thank the San Francisco Foundation, Change Elemental, and the individual donors. Thank you for listening. And remember, to listen is to heal. All power to the people.